Thanks, Chris. Yeah, we, uh, we are very grateful for this uh, congregation and uh, also for our family. Uh, Mom's 96th birthday this, this week was, was just a wonderful gift to be a part of, 96 years young. And I just want to say uh, what a, a blessing it's been to have a mother-in-law who loves the Lord, has given a, a legacy of faith to her family, and has walked with Jesus for so many years, 60 years or more of walking with Jesus. I've known her for 35, and I just, I just want to say thank you to God for Irene Langeman. Yeah, thank you, God. And uh, she is one year older, or one month older, I should say, than Queen Elizabeth. Did you know that? One month older than Queen Elizabeth. And Queen Elizabeth's got a few things to do. She's got an empire to run. But Irene has got a lot going on as well. And I would like to see them play Scrabble. That's the one thing I'd like to see. I think Irene could take Queen Elizabeth. I'm pretty sure. This is a very sharp Scrabble player, if you haven't noticed already or you haven't learned that. So, yeah, we, uh, she keeps us on our toes. Marjorie and I transitioned out of uh, 17 years of leading our global mission work, Multiply, last spring. And uh, we, we actually were invited by a, uh, a movement that we helped start 26 years ago called Global Disciples to join them as their VP of Leadership Development. And so we felt the Lord was in that. Uh, it's 26 years ago, four ministries came together. They were all running short-term mission training programs. In a, we met together for a day in a farmhouse in Pennsylvania, and the Lord met us that day. Uh, we didn't, I didn't know any of the other guys, but uh, the first three hours was just in repentance. I just, we were in the worship time, and I just felt the Lord saying, repent on behalf of your tribe for pride and independence. And so I represented that. I said that just by faith in a break in the worship time. Uh, I started crying. I didn't know why. And then I started really travailing as the Holy Spirit just downloaded so much grief into my spirit. I was just like, what is this? And uh, then the Holy Spirit fell on the other guys. And we spent three hours on our, on our faces on the floor, if you can imagine that. People that don't even know each other for the first three hours are flat on their faces, repenting of all the things that God was showing us that were blocking the Spirit working between us. So that day, God birthed something uh, which was in his heart. I saw a picture of little rivulets of water going through uh, a wadi, a dry ravine. Like uh, in the Middle East, they call them wadis. Like, and uh, so a little rivulet of water and then another rivulet coming through another ravine, joining together to form a little stream. The streams came together with other streams to form a river, and that river flowed to the nations. So I saw that in prayer. 26 years ago, I spoke that out. I said, if we humble ourselves, and God will use us as, as, as agents of renewal within our different faith communities, our different clusters of churches that we're a part of. If we'll humble ourselves and work together, he'll make us a blessing to the nations. And so that's what happened. Those five, those five programs, training programs, we contributed some of our finances to start new programs owned by clusters of churches in Africa, all over Africa, Asia, and South America. And uh, so we gave them a very simple strategy, intensive discipleship training in the context of mission, and that 
uh, just God seemed to bless that. So five programs, it took 20 years for that five programs to become 1,000 programs, right? Then it took four years for it to become 2,000 programs. Now there's over 200 programs joining every month, getting started all over the world. This last year, they planted over 4,000 churches. This is one of the fastest growing church planting and disciple-making movements in the world right now. So what an honor it is to come back into that and just invest in the next generation of leaders. That is, that's God's invitation to me. And I'm just really grateful. So I request your prayers. Marjorie and I are doing this together. Um, so that's just, we actually felt led last summer to begin a ministry called Listening to the Word. We've been doing that for many years. Last 15 years, we've been writing morning devotionals and encourage people to read through the Bible systematically and then listen to the Lord speak to them. And so uh, that's been our practice. We've been trying to build that rhythm into the lives of leaders. And uh, so Marjorie has been helping send those out and also doing some admin support. And as we got this invitation then to go and equip and train leaders in other places, I just said, I don't want to do this alone anymore. I'm tired of just traveling by myself. i got to do this with Marjorie. So we've been traveling. She, she uh, transitioned out of her role as, as a music teacher last uh, fall. And so now we're traveling and raising support together to do this as a team. And uh, so that is, that's what we've been We've been doing it, and it's been an incredible gift. We just came back from a couple of months, as Chris said, in East Africa. Uh, I actually grew up as a kid in East Africa, so I spent a few years in, as a boy till the age of four in Kenya. And so we were, we were based out of there. We spent some time in Turkey as well, uh, and there's some really exciting things that are happening in Turkey in terms of the gospel. But in Kenya, uh, two days into our visit, we were invited to a large celebration uh, of the Maasai, now, COVID has hit them pretty hard because people aren't coming on tourism trips. And uh, so they all got last, got go from their safari jobs in the Maasai Mara. And so uh, these folks have been in a t- difficult time. And some friends from Canada have actually been helping them, feeding them. So 28,000 Maasai have been fed for 18 months by some friends from Canada. So this couple came from Canada. Uh, they're not Christ followers they're actually part of the, I would say, the cultural elite of Canada. Uh, Louise, well, the, the woman leads one of the largest pub publishing houses in Canada. Uh, all of the literary top, art, top writers in Canada are her personal friends. And uh, her husband is a social, I would call him a social engineer. He helps communities get re, reconnected and re, re, uh, kind of revitalized. He negotiated one of the largest land settlement treaties in northern BC. And uh, long story short, he's been helping the Maasai re-envision what their future could look like. So these guys have been very strategic in this least-reached people group from a spiritual perspective, helping them kind of get on their feet. When we were there 25 years ago on a sabbatical, Marjorie and I were in a Maasai community. Less than 2% of the Maasai were Christian. So they were mostly alcoholics, like it was 80% alcohol rate uh, in the community. They were non-functioning people. And, um, uh, you know, so we were living in the community for a few days and getting to know them and learning to love them. 
And uh, we sent a missions team. One of our missions teams went there the next summer and lived in that community and helped them. Uh, They then invited a long-term worker. And then the first church was planted, and more churches have been planted since. Fast forward 25 years, now over 1 million Maasai have come to Christ in Kenya alone. They are 80% Christian. 80% Christian. So civic gatherings are now Christian. You just go to like, this celebration was not a church gathering. This was hosted by the National Eye Conservancy. This was hosted by a wildlife conservancy that was owned by the Maasai. So they had this, you know, people came together from all over Kenya just to say thank you to their Canadian, you know, friends who had been helping them with food. And so they came together. Imagine 3,000 people, huge circus tents, delegations of 50 and 100, all their dancing, all their tribute, all their honor, you know, traditions on display. Two evangelists spoke, shared the gospel, worshiped throughout the whole day. Guys, apostolic, you know, uh, bishops were speaking the word. And they, the best thing they, they can do to impart honor and blessing is to give you of their hearts what God's put in their hearts, right? So as these guests come, the culture, imagine this, the most influential cultural elites from Toronto are there, okay? They run big stuff. They, are, they represent the post-Christian culture of Canada. They call them forward. They have them kneel. These first-generation Maasai leaders are laying hands on them, speaking the word of the Lord to them, prophesying over them, speaking scripture into their lives. That is what the Spirit of God is doing around the world. First-generation Christians are bringing the gospel to the leaders of Canada. It's going full circle, friends. It's going full circle. You probably already know this, but the momentum is not here in North America as much as it is in the global south, where so many people are entering the kingdom of God right now. It's harvest time. So our privilege is to come alongside to be a part of that. We want to reach this community with the gospel, right? We want to live on mission right here. We want to see that same transformation in this community right here. We want to pray. We want to believe that the word of God will bear fruit in this community as well. And we thank God for what he's doing in the uttermost reaches, the parts of the world that, you know, have been unreached until now. And so God is doing something in our day that is astounding. And uh, our privilege is to join him. One of the things that uh, I've been struck by in the African church in particular is their stewardship of the presence of the Lord. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, not just the words, the manifest presence of God. When you are in a space, whether it's in your prayer closet or when you're with other people and you sense the presence of God is there. Now, he indwells us by his spirit. He is there. But it doesn't mean we're always communing in, in open you know, dialogue with him. There's oftentimes we just don't sense that he's there. And there are special times when God draws near to us in particular ways. And uh, so I remember being at a, a church service a number of years ago in East Africa, uh, a large church in Nairobi, They were meeting at the time in a circus tent. They had services going throughout the day and 
And I came, I think I spoke at the 4 o'clock service, and I uh, just entered the, and they were, they were building a sanctuary. So I, I, I walked in the back of the circus tent. Thousands of people were walking out because that previous service was over and a new service was starting. And so people are walking out, people are walking in. And as soon as I walked into that circus tent, I just, I just sensed, wow, this is the presence of the Lord. Like something's going on here. I walked to the front, sat down. I'm like, whoa, this, this is heavy. This is, this is the glory of God. The evangelist Matthew stood up, started speaking, calling the service to order. Whoa, Jesus was there. Hair at the back of my neck is up on end, and I'm just like, whoa, I'm just like, this is, this is different. This is the presence of God. Wow. I started crying. I didn't know why I was crying. Just, I was crying because I was in the presence of the Lord. I just love being in the presence of God, right? Worship starts. They invited me up to speak. So easy to speak, like just no barriers, just freedom. People respond to the gospel. Powerful. Lots of people respond. There's faith to believe God can do anything in his presence. So what a morning. I went up to, uh, what an afternoon. I went up to this evangelist Matthews afterwards. I said, hey, could you just explain how this, like you take this for granted, but what you're experiencing here is incredible. How does this happen? He smiles at me. He says, you know what? You should be here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. I said, what? He says, yeah, this circus tent is full of people at 5 a.m. Every morning before they go to work, they're seeking the presence of God. How bad do you want it? They're going after the presence of God. Crazy. He said, you should come here on a Friday night. And I did. We pray all night long, every Friday night. Most of us have never prayed once all night long with a group of people. How bad do you want it? God doesn't love Africans more than he loves Canadians. He's not, he's not playing favorites. These folks are seeking the face of God. They're not taking for granted the things that we have been given in Christ. They are seeking the face of God. And uh, he is pouring out his spirit, and he's bringing multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. So I want to talk about the presence of the Lord this morning. Are you with me? Yeah. I'm going to give you five rhythms, five rhythms that you can build into your life if you're interested in going deeper with God, okay? First one, and they're based on the first fruits principle in the word of God, where if you give God, if we give God our best, he will honor that. First fruits. Exodus 23 says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So the first hour of the day, or first half hour, give God the first portion of your day, listening to his word. Jesus says in, or this Mark says in, uh, about Jesus, Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus had a rhythm of getting away from the crowds, getting away from people, 
and regularly spending time with his father in his presence. He was able to say, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. John 5, 19. Jesus lived, I believe, prophetically. He lived his day in prayer before it ever happened. He lived in the presence of the Father. He heard and saw things that were going to be important for him to accomplish that day. The Father prepared him in prayer for what was going to happen that day. And he would say, that's your, uh, that's your privilege as sons and daughters. I believe he was fully human. He was as dependent on the Holy Spirit as you and I are today. What he lived, we too can live. He is our pattern. He's our prototype, as it were, of what it means to be a disciple who lives in dependency on his Father. So first hour. Give God the first hour. Now you say, how do I do that? What do I do? Like, let's get practical. You need a Bible or your phone you need a, a, a journal, I would say. It was many years ago that I started journaling. Now, I'm not talking about just journaling your thoughts. I'm talking about journaling what the Holy Spirit's saying to you from the Word of God that morning. Not running, you know, a long commentary on everything you're hearing. Just read until you hear God speak to you. Read until you hear something from the Lord. You're reading not just for information, but for impartation, right? You're reading until you hear the Holy Spirit speak. Stop Write down that verse, then write down what it means, and then what you're going to do about it. So I just put one page on my little journal every morning, and, uh, and then my prayer of response. And uh, our, you can next, next slide. So if you, there's a little video that I've got explaining how to do that. You can go to our, our website, listeningtotheword.com. You can sign up to receive the email every morning with that day's scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Many of you do that. So you can just go up on the, the web page on the left side. There's a couple of dots. Just click on that. Give us your information, and we'll send you that every morning. So we'll help you if you want some help getting into the Word of God. And um, it, is, it is the privilege of sons and daughters to hear the voice of their father to hear the voice of their Father. When we hear the voice of our Father, not only does it give us instruction and counsel, but it strengthens our identity. We know who we are. We know whose we are. So before we let the world tell us who we are, we know our Father is telling us who we are. We learn to receive our value from the Father, not from our accomplishments and achievements in the world. So let's, uh, let's give God the first, first hour. You know, it's one of those mornings that I was in the Word, and I was in Revelations 14, which is a, which is a picture of the harvest. An angel, there's a preached on this before, but an angel comes out of the temple, and the Lord of the harvest has got a crown on his head, he's got a sickle in his hand, and he's sitting on a white cloud. And the angel says, the earth is ripe, it's time. And so... The Lord of the harvest swings his sickle over the earth, and the earth is harvested. That's the picture. And like I said earlier, we see that happening around the world. We're living in an, in an hour of harvest all over the world. And so when you've read a scripture many times, and you've 
talked about it and whatnot, it becomes very familiar. But when the Holy Spirit's guiding you in your morning time, it's always fresh. And so the Lord just stopped me and just said, uh, why am I sitting? And I just came to attention in my spirit, and I just said, I don't know. Why are you sitting? He said, I'm sitting because I'm at rest, and I'm in the, I'm in the seated position. I'm at rest because everything needed for a relationship with the Father has been accomplished. Anyone on this planet right now can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? Yeah. So the work of salvation is complete. I'm in the seat of position. I'm at rest. What's in my hand? A sickle. What's my job? To harvest. What's your job? I said, my job is to do whatever you ask me to do. Like, whatever. He says, no, your job is to plant water. Your job is to testify to my work in your life. Okay? I can do that. He said, you do your job. I will do my job. That was important. He harvests. I testify. Third, he said, where are you? I said, I'm in my office. He said, no, you're not. Right now, you're seated with me in heavenly places. You are seated with me in heavenly places. You're on this cloud with me. And if I'm at rest, I want you to be at rest. Oh, Hebrews 4. Nay, labor. Make every effort to enter this rest. If you enter God's rest, you rest from your own labor. You're now doing, like what Jesus models for us, you're now doing the Father's will, not your will. Asking God to bless your will? No, you're now doing the Father's will. That's how you live and minister out of rest. Three things. In Christ, at rest, on mission. Can you say that with me? In Christ, at rest, on mission. That pretty much summarizes how to live life right there. In Christ, at rest, on mission. Give God the first hour. You'll be encouraged. Not every day, but many days you'll be encouraged. He'll speak something to you. You'll write it down and then chew on it through the day. Ruminate on it. Pull it up again. Meditate on it. And then look for one person to share it with. It's, uh, it'll change your life. First hour. Second, first day. First day. On the seventh day, Genesis 2 says, he rested from all his work. Then the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the church chooses to practice Sabbath on the first day of the week, not the last. It's resurrection day. It's the Lord's day. We believe that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's also the Lord of the Sabbath. So we, uh, we practice this day, Sunday, resurrection day, as, as our day of rest. But it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? It's also a commandment I've broken more than any other commandment. This is one of the hardest commandments for me. And just let you know on a little secret here, if you're in missions, you're often working on Sundays, and then you're doing mission administration and other work the rest of the week, and you actually just go that way quite often. 
And I am often on back-to-back-to-back-to-back trips. And so you can sometimes just think you're going to get away with it, but you can't. You eventually get sick or you burn out, and then you have a lot of Sabbaths in a row, usually lying down, and it's not very fun. Right? The Lord will get a Sabbath out of you, one way or the other. So take a Sabbath. And as I work with you know, mission workers, I'm just encouraging them. A lot of these first-generation Christ followers are so zealous in terms of uh, their work and their service that they, they, they too forget to take a Sabbath or omit to take a Sabbath. And it's such an important rhythm. Rest is a gift. It's also a weapon in battle. Being at rest in our body, soul, and spirit. So entering the Lord's rest is so important. And uh, one of the ways in which we learn to do that is through Sabbath. And uh, Sabbath is not just coming for corporate worship or, uh, you know, eating a good meal with your friends and family, but Sabbath rituals can also uh, be things that recreate, restore, and renew your fellowship with the Lord and your strength. And so they can be habits and pastimes like recreational things you enjoy doing. Get on your motorcycle or garden. Do something that fulfills and restores and renews you. But do it with the Lord and enjoy his presence and his fellowship. Sabbath is a gift. So let's take that gift and let's use that gift. And so it's a a regular rhythm. And maybe this is a, a pattern in your life that's not a problem. So encourage others to do this as well. Sabbath... Yeah, we're sort of losing our uh, we're sort of losing our focus on Sabbath as Sundays become like any other day, and so it's not as easy to practice this rhythm. Uh, years ago, I was in a very 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 busy season, a lot of things back to back, and I got vertigo. Uh, any of you ever had vertigo? It's the most debilitating thing. You just can't you can't you can't stand up. You can't do anything. You can't read. You can't watch anything. I was just lying in bed in a darkened room for days. Really not fun at all. So I'm, I'm lying there, and the Lord's just, just the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit says, Do I have your attention now? You have my full attention. You have my full attention. Practice Sabbath. Because it's God's gift to us, and he wants to renew us through it. First hour, first day. First Friday. First Friday of the month. Matthew six sixteen to 18. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Jesus practiced fasting. The early church, the disciples practiced fasting. It's been a key discipline in the life of the church for the last 2,000 years. Fasting is, uh, is one of the ways in which we cultivate our awareness of the presence of the Lord. I've been on longer fasts, shorter fasts. The movement that I'm a part of now, Global Disciples, we practice the first Friday of the month taking a day of fasting, fasting and prayer for revival in our nation. 
revival in our community. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. We're praying for our own lives to be in tune with God. So normally our bodies are calling the shots in terms of what we do every day. Body, soul, and spirit. Fasting inverts the order, and so now your spirit is kind of calling the shots, telling your body what to do. And it's healthy to do that. You can break addictions by fasting. You can stop patterns that are unhealthy in your life, overeating, overspending, and uh, viewing and using your body in ways that are inappropriate. So you want to take on lusts of the flesh, practice fasting. It'll definitely bring stuff to the surface that needs to be addressed. So, yeah, it's one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit just reminds us of the things that are secondary and what's of first importance. Drawing the presence of the Lord close to us. So fasting. Jesus fasted in the wilderness. And uh, we remember there the enemy came to him and said, if you're the son of God, like calling his identity into question, if you're the son of God, turn those stones into bread, right? Jesus is like, no. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the, the food that was Jesus' uh, strength came from him listening to his Father. And fasting is a way to heighten our capacity to hear and commune with our Father. And so Jesus models that. If you haven't done it, start, start short. Take a meal, fast a meal, and say, I'm going to take that time just to worship God. I'm going to take that time to read and listen. I'm just going to skip a meal, and I'm going to take that time to be intentionally in the presence of the Lord. And then expand it. Take, take a day. And, uh, and we're in the season of Lent. This is a good time to do some fasting. Um, yeah, I just encourage it as a rhythm, as a practice. And when we were in Africa, year January, every church was fasting. It was... Uh, it was a pattern. Every church was fasting, and they were fasting for weeks. Like, this was normal. Normal. How bad do you want it? So, uh, yeah, first hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he's getting some, an offering ready for Jerusalem. So the, fat, so the, so the, the offering, the giving, the tithing, um, was, you know, had a missional focus. But he's trying to teach them how to practice what the Jews were taught through the temple, and that is just to give God a portion of your, of your income as a way of saying, thank, thank you, thank you, God recognizing that it's God who's actually given you everything that you have, including your, your very breath, comes from him. So saying thank you is a privilege. Now, you, you might ask, well, how does that enhance the presence of God? There's a bunch of places I would love to take you if we had time. You know, David, when he was preparing for the building of the temple, and uh, his son Solomon was the one who built the temple, but David gave sacrificially, and I think David gave everything. Like he gave, he was all in. He gave his entire treasury. He gave all of his wealth to the building 
of the temple. And that so inspired the people of Israel that they all started giving. It was like this outpouring of giving that was just incredible. Incredible worship. And the presence of God was revealed through that generosity. How's the giving going? COVID has been a bit of a test for us because we often haven't been, you know, meeting regularly in person. And so when we're not, when we're not meeting together, it's easy to forget to give. But I just want to encourage you, keep uh, that act of uh, worship going and be generous. Look for ways to give in secret. Look for ways to give generously. Look for ways to bless others and honor God. You know, in Acts chapter 10, there's this interesting story of Cornelius. He is a, an Italian general. He's stationed in Israel. And he is somebody who's generous. And one day he sees an angel. And the angel says to him, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up before the Lord as a memorial offering. This guy's not a Jew. He's an Italian general in an occupied country called Israel. And an angel recognizes and brings communication from the throne room of God and says, God noticed your prayers and he noticed your generosity. Whoa! Now a guy's going to come send for someone named Simon, Peter, he's staying at the house of, it's another Simon Joppa down the, down the, you know, down the waterfront here. Send for him, and he's going to give you something you need to hear. And we know Peter came to Cornelius' house and shared the, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And from that point on, the Gentiles responded to the gospel. I mean, this Cornelius became the gateway through whom the Gentiles got the gospel. How did he earn that privilege? Generosity. His gifts attracted the attention of God. You want to draw the attention of God? Get generous. He looked at his prayers and his gifts and he said, wow. I want to I set that person apart for a special assignment. Isn't that amazing? Your generosity will draw the presence of God because we image God. He is so generous. We will never outgive God. See, you say, I don't have much. Give what you have, and you will see God's work in your life increase. Be generous. As our Father's generous. First hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits, first friends. Are you with me? First friends. Every day, Acts chapter 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These folks weren't just meeting together on Sundays. They were meeting together most days. They enjoyed being together. This was a community that shared life 
and worship and witness together? Do you have friends in the family of God? Do you have friends? If someone, if you are stumbling, does anybody know? In your lowest moments, is anybody there? In your highest moments, is there anybody to share it with? Jesus modeled this, didn't he? He had 12 disciples, but he also had three really close friends. James, John, Peter. Who did he take with him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he got up there? Met with Moses, Abraham. He had his three buddies with him. They didn't know what to do, but they were up there with him. Right? When he went through his lowest time in the valley of Gethsemane, and he was agonizing, and he was just going through this incredible test, who did he bring with him? Peter, James, John. He cried with them. He said, guys, can you just wait with me? Can you just be with me? They all fell asleep, but he, he invited them. He had them with him in his highest highs, his lowest lows. Find one, two friends that you meet with every other week, maybe once a month. Have a meal together. Share your story. Share your life with each other. Encourage each other. Pray with each other. Live a life that's known. And encourage each other in the things that cultivate the presence of God. Share with them what God's giving you in your first hour each day. Here's a couple of things that God's been teaching me. Encourage each other. Hold each other accountable in some of the other rhythms that are more challenging. Ask each other, are you giving? Does anyone have the right to ask you that question? Have you invited anyone into your life at that level to ask you that question? Are you honoring God with your body? These are the kind of questions that help us continue to walk with the Lord and cultivate his presence in our lives, right? We need each other. We need friends, first friends who actually walk close. You know, when I was uh, in transition last spring, I had two friends who sat with me and helped me through that transition, helped me and confirmed this is the right decision. This is the right thing to do at this time. We need friends. They're going to walk with us through the highs and through the lows. We're not meant to do this alone. Amen? First hour. First day. First Friday. First fruits. First friends. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team up. So as we pray, I just want to invite you to consider your experience of the presence of the Lord in your life. And as you just reflect on where you are and where you want to be, I just want to give you space here this morning to talk to the Father. Lord, you have made it possible to walk intimately with you, and I thank you. I thank you that we have been given the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we have been given uh, just access to the throne room through the blood of Christ. 
I thank you that there are no barriers uh, that uh, remain. And yet, Lord, so often we are distracted by other things, and we, we just confess that to you today. There's so much that tugs at our heart. And so we ask for the grace here, as we've just been reminded again this morning, to pursue your presence and to cultivate rhythms that actually uh, help foster that. And Lord, for some of us, we know that there's some pretty significant things that stand in the way of your presence. And so would you give us the grace now, Lord, just to surrender those things to you, no matter what they might be. Where repentance is needed, we choose to do that. Set us free, Lord, from everything that hinders sin that so easily entangles and enable us to run this race of faith with perseverance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for modeling and showing us the way. Thank you, Lord. So as the Lord just has been speaking to you, if there's one of those five or two of those five that you just say, Lord, I see it. I want to grow in this. I just want to grow in this. Just tell the Lord that. Just in the quietness of your heart, tell him, okay, let's, let's work on this together. Let's work on this together. If you're aware that uh, you haven't been seeking the face of the Lord, uh, and you just you sense a drawing, a calling, and an invitation here this morning, uh, I just want to agree with you that that desire comes from God. He's the one who put that inside of you, and he wants to meet it. He wants to meet you. Lord, with the psalmist, we say, uh, we, my soul says, seek his face. Your face, God, I will seek. We want to be seekers, Father, of your face. Not just your hands for what you can give us, but your face. Intimacy and relationship. We need you, Lord. We need you. And I ask that this uh, church, which is composed of so many disciples of yours, would be an expression of your presence in this community that draws others to, to know you and seek you as well. I pray for your spirit to use each one of your sons and daughters here this week to be a witness, pointing others to you and expressing their experience of your presence in ways that make others curious and drawn to you. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. I ask you to seal these words this morning, Lord. May the enemy not snatch this away in Jesus' name. You know, as we wrap up this service, if you want prayer for something this morning, anything, I just invite you to just to come forward after the service and just get prayed for. It's just one of the privileges we have. We can talk to the Father on each other's behalf. And uh, I know God honors prayer. Last week I was praying with a woman who hasn't been able to eat solid food in, I think she said, seven years. So uh, and as I prayed with her, she got healed and set free. And it was an awesome thing. Um, but the Lord led us very specifically in how to pray. So if you've got something that's 
a barrier, a blockage to the presence of God in your life, and you don't know quite what it is, but you know something's stopping you, just get some prayer. It's one of the ways we help each other continue to grow in our walk with God. The Lord bless you, Pastor Chris.